All right. Let me also say as we get ready to jump into this message, aren't you grateful for the global family that God has blessed us with here at Living Stones? If you are new to Living Stones, you might not know, but we've got family all over the world and Roar schools all over the world. And uh, we just want to say hi to you as you're watching. We know our folks in Zambia, uh, Cambodia, and other nations are watching this morning. Can we just say welcome to our uh, international family? We love you guys. Merry Christmas. And I want you to get your Bibles out to probably the most uh, uh, popular place where we read about the birth of Jesus, and that's Luke's Gospel. Get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, and I want to begin right there in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And then notice verse 2 is almost like a parenthetical statement inserted in here. Uh, for historical purposes, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. It says he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was now expecting a child, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, I I want you to highlight a couple things because sometimes when we get into celebrating holidays in the United States, uh, for instance, if I told you... Uh, what comes to your mind when we think of Easter? We always think of things like the Easter Bunny. If I say Christmas, we talk about Santa Claus. How many of you know the birth of Jesus and the true story of Christmas is radically different? It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's something that is rooted in history. And I want to show you some things that sometimes we gloss over in the Bible. Notice, first of all, it says, at that time, which means there was a specific time when God chose to step from eternity into time and to reveal his son, Jesus Christ. God stepped into history to to reveal his story, which is what we get when we begin to focus on the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. I want you to notice there's some other important facts here that we should not gloss over. It says that the Roman emperor Augustus was ruling at the time. And then verse 2, which is something that doesn't seem all that exciting to us, but it's important because it mentions that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, why does the Bible share all that? Let me tell you why. Because the Bible and the revelation of Jesus Christ is rooted in historical truth. This is not myth. This is not fable. This is not, you know, a nice little story we tell uh, to our children like it's a fairy tale. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepping into human history to reveal God's plan that, that God had known from before the foundation of the world. He did it at a very specific time, and he even mentions who's, who's leading the country at the time. He mentions who the politicians were. How many of you know that's important, that's important information? You don't find that in fairy tales. You do find it in the historically accurate record of the Word of God framing how this whole scene happens. Now, I was sharing with you, if any of you saw our promo video when we were talking about what was to come, it's amazing to me that God has a problem on His hands as we come into Luke chapter 2. Now, obviously, I say that facetiously because God doesn't have problems, but here's the problem that God has. God, through the prophet Micah, had already prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit hundreds of years before that the Messiah would be born in a very specific place, a very specific town. 
That town was where? Bethlehem. Where are Mary and Joseph at uh, at the time when we read Luke chapter 2? They're not in Bethlehem. They're where? They're in Nazareth. Now, some of, we have some ladies here that are maybe getting ready to deliver shortly. And you realize that one thing you do not want to do is have a long road trip when you're very pregnant, especially when you don't have a comfortable automobile. You might be riding on a camel or on a donkey or something like that. Does anybody know how far it was from Nazareth to Bethlehem? It's about the same distance as if we would get on a camel or donkey when you're nine months pregnant and ride from Crown Point to O'Hare Airport. How many of you know that would not be a pleasant ride? Uh, But that's exactly what happened. And God was fulfilling what the prophet Micah had declared earlier. In fact, let's go there because I just want to ground this all in Scripture. Some people say, well, why should I believe in Jesus? Well, let me just give you one reason. Because the Old Testament prophecy is so overwhelmingly astounding that nobody could fulfill all the prophecies about Jesus in one person at one time in the history of the world. Nobody could possibly do that. It is mathematically an impossibility. Let me just give you one of the prophecies. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. This is referring to the ancient of days. This is a way of saying the eternality, the divinity of Jesus Christ, who existed from eternity past, will come from you on my behalf. So there's going to be this amazing ruler that's going to come out of Bethlehem who who has existed from eternity past, who's going to be coming on behalf of God Almighty to accomplish his purposes. So God has to move a nine-month pregnant lady uh, and her betrothed husband-to-be from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy. How does he do it? He moves on the heart of a pagan ruler who comes up with what he thinks is this great idea to call a census. It's not his idea at all. It's God's idea to fulfill prophecy to demonstrate the truth of who the Messiah is and where the Messiah is going to come forth. How many of you think that's pretty awesome? Now, let me give you an illustration. How many of you think it would be really awesome if this Christmas I surprised my wife with a cruise? I'm just asking. It's a setup question. Does anybody think that might be cool? What, what if I went through all the plans to get us from Crown Point to Miami? And along the way, I, I planned out our trip. I planned out where we're going to stop. I planned out some gifts. I planned out everything. How many of you think that would be like a major score for a husband? Like husband of the year, all right? I go through all the details. But when I get to Miami and we're getting ready to board the ship, I forgot to reserve and book the tour itself. And there's no room on the cruise ship. There's no room with my name on it. How many think that would not be smart? Look what God did here. God moves on the heart of a king to declare a census to move a couple nine months pregnant carrying the Messiah from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that he could fulfill a several hundred year old prophecy. But God can't make a reservation at a hotel so the baby can be born. At least that's what you think. Because how many of you know God does not leave out any details? And there's something really powerful about the God who controls the rulers of the world and yet leaves out so seemingly this, this 
minute detail here that God's Son, Jesus Christ, does not have a fitting place to come into this world. But maybe there's another story behind that. I want you to notice as well, I love when we study the names in the Bible because names are so powerful. What is it about Bethlehem? Of course, it was King David's city, so it speaks of royalty. And of course, Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the, but the city Bethlehem literally means house of bread. House of bread. The place where the bread is kept. What do we know about one of Jesus' names? He is the bread of life. What more fitting place for the bread to be delivered than to the house of bread. Another powerful picture of how God is setting up exactly what's about to take place here. Now, I want you to also notice here in verse 8. Go ahead and read with me in verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. What an amazing event that must have been. And the Bible says, They were filled with goosebumps and wanted to worship longer. No, that's not what it says, does it? It says they were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, I want you to see something here. This is no normal message, and this is why we pause every year and we celebrate this wonderful tradition to remember what Christmas is all about and what this message is all about. I want to give you five things very quickly here about the message that the angels delivered. First of all, it was a supernatural message. How many know when an angel shows up and tells you something, you better listen and you better believe? In chapter 1 of Luke, an angel showed up to Zechariah. Remember that? And, and, uh, and Zechariah was freaked out. And then he said, you're going you're gonna to have a son. Your wife's going to have a son. You're going to name him John. And he didn't believe. Now, how many of you know if an angel shows up and tells you something, believe. That is, unless it's contrary to the scripture. I'm not talking about believing in heresy. But when an angel from the Lord, this was Gabriel, and Gabriel says this, by the way, he says, because remember what happened to Zechariah? He couldn't talk. Couldn't talk till, till the baby came, until it came time to name the baby. And then when he gave the right answer, he remember, he writes out the right answer, then he can talk. All right? It's always a good idea when you're hearing a supernatural message from God to respond to it with faith. All right? So this is a supernatural message that's coming. It was attended to by not only the, de- the delivery angel here, but as soon as that angel delivered the message, all the angelic hosts started declaring the greatness of God. How many of you know this is a special moment? It's a supernatural moment, and I just want to tell you, every one of us in this room, we serve a supernatural God. Nothing is impossible for God. In fact, when Elizabeth was told she was going to have a baby, she's freaking out because she was well beyond the baby-bearing age. And what did the angel tell her? Hey, nothing's impossible with God. When Mary got the word that she's going to carry Jesus Christ and she's never known a man in a sexual way, and she's like, how can this happen? Hey, the angel said, no problem. With human beings, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. How many of you know our faith is supernatural, and the good news is supernatural, that God can take people that are broken and bound by sin and hurt and far from Him, and God can do supernatural things in your life. God can absolutely change everything about the course of your history and about the trajectory of your life. How many of you believe that? It's a supernatural message. I want to remind you during this holiday season, don't dumb down or naturalize the good news of the gospel. It's totally supernatural. Point number two, it's a personal message. Notice the angel said this, I bring you. You, I'm talking about you 
individually. This message is not an abstract message. The message of the gospel is a message that's delivered to you personally. How many of you know Jesus offers each person in this room under the sound of my voice, each one of you that can hear my voice, you have a personal invitation from God. What's that invitation? That you could know God Almighty through Jesus Christ and through being in relationship with him and the gift of salvation has been offered to you if you reach out and you take it. How many of you know that's pretty awesome? So who's the gospel for? For you. And it's for the you next to you and the you behind you and the you on the other side and for every you out there. But it is a personal, personal gospel. So I'm just telling you here today, if you've never responded to a supernatural message with supernatural faith in God, and you've never personalized Christmas, this is your morning, because the message is for you. Third thing I want to bring out is the message is a positive message. It's good news. Andrew did a great job, did he not, of highlighting uh, and reminding us that the babe in the manger uh, was born to die. I didn't, I didn't mention it yet, but let me mention it now, that, you know, those, those little strips of cloth that the baby was wrapped in were the same strips that would have been used to embalm a corpse. Uh, that's how corpses were embalmed, with strip after strip after strip of cloth until that person was mummified and prepared for burial. It's no accident that God Almighty sent his son, and he wasn't wrapped up in a nice little quilted you know, baby blanket that your grandma would make. He was wrapped up in strips of cloth that were reminiscent of somebody's burial because this little baby was no normal baby. This baby was born to die. And why did the baby die? The baby was died to absorb the judgment that was due you and I because of our sin and rebellion against God. This is good news. God is not coming in judgment. God is coming with good news. And the good news is the next part of the message, that it's a joyful message. The Bible says this is good news of great joy, not mediocre joy, great joy. How many of you, since Christ has come into your life and changed your perspective and changed your heart and changed your your mission, uh, your life has been filled with joy? Joy in the hard times, joy on the mountain times, joy when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but joy also when you're together with God's people, joy in God's presence. Joy is one of the chief gifts that God brings to people who know him. And, and I'll just say this, during this holiday season, when everybody's wanting to kill each other, when you're trying to survive the parking lot of South Lake Mall, uh, when lines are everywhere, when people aren't always acting like Jesus, what a great time to demonstrate joy in the midst of it all. We got to fight for joy, though, do we not? We got to fight for it. Lastly, let me mention this. It's a supernatural message, a personal message, a positive message, a joyful message, but this is part of God's glory as well. It's a universal message because the Bible says it's for all people. You know, one of my biggest joys this past year um, was being able to share the good news of great joy for all people in Pakistan. Some of you know we had a great connection. In fact, he's coming to be with us, he and his lovely wife, uh, this January. I want to, I'll give you more information on that once we get into the new year. But John Javet is a friend of ours in Pakistan, and he invited uh, our team to go and to be a part of the Crusades. I shared with you when I stood on that stage and looked out at a sea of people desperate for something, desperate for hope. Um, I said, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And the Lord brought this very verse to my mind, Luke chapter 2. 
that God is a great God. He's full of good news, of great joy for all people. And that the people of Pakistan are worthy to hear this message because God had them in mind. And as I'm standing there with the AK-47 guys behind me and looking out at a sea of faces that's the biggest crowd I ever saw and seeing literally thousands of people raise their hands to respond to the good news, how many of you know at that moment it reminds you of the greatness of our Savior because he's not just a Pakistani Savior. He's not just a Jewish Savior. He's not just an American Savior. How many of you know every nation, tribe, tongue, and language is going to bow before the Lord? Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is great enough for every different group of people, every ethnicity to fall in love with the awesomeness of God. This isn't a white message. It's not a black message. It's not a Hispanic gospel. It's not an Asian gospel. It is the gospel to the whole world which magnifies how awesome Jesus is. Amen? He's not separated or limited. This message isn't limited by anything we could put on it. This message goes out far and wide. It's good news for everybody. Everybody in this room, I'm telling you good news today. And if I could scream it and the whole world could hear, it would be for everybody within the sound of our voice. It is a good news, a universal message to all people. Now look with me at verse 11. We're going to see a surprising sign here. The Bible says the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And here's how you're going to recognize him. There's going to be a sign. Everybody say sign. A sign. What is the sign? You know, if Joseph and Mary were traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, there would have been signs along the way. There would have been a clear path to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Some of us will be traveling to visit family members, and you won't be looking at maybe road signs like old school. You'll be having it on your iPhone. It'll be, you know, Siri will be telling you, turn right in 100 feet or whatever. Um, but the point is this. Signs help us to get from one place to another place. Here's the question I want to ask you. What is the sign that's going to get us from where we are now into a saving encounter with Jesus Christ? What's the sign? How do we get from lostness from rebellion, from separation from God, how do we find the sign that leads us to the Messiah himself? That's a great question, because Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, but how would people know? And this is where the beginning that I talked about, about God moving the hearts of kings and yet not being able to find a place for his son to be born, this was not an oversight. This was an intentional sign by God Almighty. And it's an important sign, and God, when God says, here's a sign, what he means is, I don't want you to miss this, because if you see the sign, you will know that everything I said about my son is true. And here's what God's after. He's after us believing in him. He's after us responding to him. So check out, here's the sign. What is the sign that God has come in human flesh? You're going to find a baby wrapped in these strips of cloth, laying in a feeding trough. How many of you know God could have been a whole lot more spectacular than that? Here's my sign. You're going to find a baby glowing, floating over a crib. And you're not going to be able to stand in the presence of this amazing being because the glory is going to be so powerful. That's not the sign. He could have said, you know, this baby is going to be able to Talk like an adult from birth and teach you the profound mysteries of the kingdom of God. You know, he could have, that could have been the sign. It could have been, how about this? This baby will perform as he grows signs and wonders and miracles. Well, that was certainly a sign, but that wasn't the initial sign that we were looking for. God could have done a lot of things. He's God. But how about this? You talk about being creative. 
God's the best storyteller that there's ever been. He's like this. How about this? We're going to have this plan of redemption, and this teenage girl is going to get pregnant, not from a human being, but she's going to bear the Son of God. She, it's going to be a virgin birth. Human beings have never heard of that before. That's out there. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, the king is going to come, and he's not going to come like a king. Let's have him be born in a stable, in a, in a feeding trough is where we'll lay him, where stinky animals come and eat their food. Let's take the king of glory, the creator of all things, deliver him in tiny infant form, wrap him in grave clothes, and put him in a feeding trough. How many of you know only God can think this stuff up? Because we wouldn't think this way. And it's hard for us to get our brains around the humiliation of the great one, the darling of heaven, the champion of heaven, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he would humble himself so much that he would come in probably one of the lowest conditions possible, being placed in a dirty manger in a stable. But that's what God decided to do. The Savior was coming. He's going to save us from our sins. He's also called the Messiah, which is the anointed one. He's also called the Lord, which means he's a king. He's a master. He's a sovereign. What a crazy, crazy way for a king to come into this world. But the Bible says that the way we would recognize him, and I want you to see this, the way you'll recognize Jesus is through his humility. I mean, you know, there's lots of world leaders clamoring for attention, for their big stage, attention on me. There's lots of religious leaders. I don't know if you saw the, the, uh, the guy that, that Oprah was promoting down in, uh, uh, in South America that was supposed to be the healer. It turned out that he was sexually abusing all these ladies that were coming into the place. I mean, you know, there's lots of fake messiahs out there. There's lots of fake healers. How do you know who the real one is? You know the real one because the real one doesn't come full of pride and full of arrogance. The real one comes full of humility and goes to the lowest way possible to make his entry. That's how you recognize the Savior of the world is through his humility. And I want you to see what happens here next. It says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I want you to see the twofold purpose of why Jesus Christ came. The first one is found in that phrase, um, glory to God in the highest heavens. How many of you know when the declaration is made about Jesus, all of heaven erupts with praise to God? Now, I want to go back just for a second. I want to give you a trivia question. Who is the first person in the Bible to declare with their mouth that Jesus is their Savior? Trivia question. Mary. And I want you to think about the implications of this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she sees Jesus, declares him as her Savior. Pretty awesome, isn't it not? As awesome as Mary is, she recognized her need for a Savior. You know who the other second person is to declare that Jesus is Savior? Zechariah, the one who couldn't talk. <laughs> as soon as he could talk, he started praising God, and he declared that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Here's what the incarnation is about, first and foremost. It's about giving God the glory for the greatness of his plan to redeem a fallen people back to himself. How many of you know when one of us bows our knee to Christ, 
It doesn't bring glory to the fact that I'm bowing my knee. It brings glory to the fact that God Almighty has sent His Son to create within me a passion for God's greatness. Everything about our salvation is about God. Everything about our salvation is about the greatness of God. Everything that we do is about the glory of God. When we serve, we do it for the glory of God. When we love, we do it for the glory of God. When we do whatever we do, the Bible says, do it for the glory of God. How many of you know that's the centerpiece of why Jesus came? To restore the glory that was due God's name. But I want you to see the second part because this is where we get to come in on it. The Bible says that God is bringing peace, but I want you to see he's, he's not bringing peace to everybody. There's a specific group that he's bringing peace to. The Bible says he is bringing peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, what should be the question we should be asking if he's bringing peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased? What's the logical question? How do I please God? Anybody want some peace? Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. God revealed himself as the God of all peace. Uh, and when we talk about peace, we're not talking about crossing our legs, holding our fingers up, doing some Buddhist chant, uh, yoga or something like that. That's not the peace that God's talking about. He's talking about relational peace, peace with God and peace with others. He's talking about peace. How do you experience peace? Well, how do I please God? Well, here's the good news. And I want to share this with you in John, John's Gospel. Look at John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus says this, this is the only work God wants from you and me. The only work. What does God expect from us? How do we please God? What do we do to please Him? What work does He expect from us? Here's the only work He expects from us. Believe in the one He has sent. How many of you think that's pretty simple? What does God want from you and I? Believe. That's it? Believe. But here's what it takes to believe, and I want you to see this. Perhaps the reason that the sign of the Messiah was that he would be born in such humble beginnings in a feeding trough and demonstrating his incredible humility, maybe God was trying to teach us something. Because here's a question I want to ask you. What is the sign that a person has come to experience Jesus as Savior and as Messiah and this whole Christmas thing gets personal? What's the sign? Here's the sign. It's the same sign that Jesus demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated humility. How do you come to believe on the Son of God? What do you do? You humble yourself. And what do you recognize? You recognize your need for a Savior. And what do you do? You believe. If you could imagine that you and I are feeding troughs, all right, stinky, smelly feeding troughs, and that's kind of what we are before Christ comes into our life, right? We're stinky, smelly, pretty normal, run-of-the-mill troughs. And we, we, we are more like our animal nature than we are like our redeemed, saved nature. We live for our flesh. We live for our belly, the Bible says. We could care less about God. We don't honor God. We don't please God. We're enemies of God. That's who we are by nature. We're feeding troughs. But if the Son of God would come and, and be born and, and placed in a filthy feeding trough, how many of you know there's hope for him to come live in this feeding trough? But here's the challenge, is it not? We're trying to get from point A to point B. We're trying to get from a condition of judgment and wrath and separation from God. And how many of you know there's a real hell and it's eternal and Jesus talked about it more than anybody and it's, it, it is not where any of us want to spend eternity. You can't talk about Christmas without talking about hell. Hell is real. If we don't want to... to, to end up where Jesus talked about what hell is like and we don't want to be there 
and we want eternal life, how do you get from Nazareth to Bethlehem is what I'm trying to ask. And you need a sign. You need a guide. How do you, how do you know when you get there? None of us, are, all right, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm exposing us. You're out driving. You're lost as can be. What are your options? Your wife is whispering in your ear, or maybe not, maybe she's yelling at this point, why don't you pull over and ask for directions? But you're a man, and you're prideful, and you're going to go, no, I can figure out how to get there. Just relax. And if we're really prideful, we don't even deny that we're lost. We just say, I know where I'm going. Trust me. And then your wife does the eye roll thing because she knows you're lost as a goose. You don't know where you're going, all right? You're lost. But you're so prideful, you won't admit it. How do we get from hell to heaven? Point number one, listen to the Holy Spirit, who's a lot like your wife, all right? And the Holy Spirit is telling you this, you're lost. You're lost. I talked with a man a few months ago. I challenged him because he's losing his wife, losing his family. Uh, and I, he goes, I'll try to be at church Sunday. I said, I'm glad that you show up at church, but listen to me. Have you ever submitted your life to Jesus Christ? He said, no. I said, then you're lost. And sitting in church will only help you a little bit because it's better than sitting in some godforsaken hellhole, but it won't, sitting here won't change you. You have to respond to the message. And this is what he told me because this is what lost people say. I'm on a journey, Pastor, and I'm just trying to find my way. Listen to me. And I told him this, and I'll tell you this. You'll never find your way because you're lost. And lost people don't get unlost. They stay lost. And the only way you find your way, Jesus said, this is the work I want you to do. I want you to believe. Well, what does that look like? It means you humble yourself. It means you acknowledge that you have sinned. It means you acknowledge that you can't figure it out by yourself. How many of you have realized you ain't good enough to get in by virtue of your own strength and virtue? You're not going to get in that way. On your best day, we're miserable. On our best day, we sin. On our best day, we're selfish. Am I talking to the right crowd here? So the good news of Christmas is this. God has given you a gift. You know, there's some people too, they call up, Pastor Dick, I, I have a gift for you. Oh, no, I can't take, no, no, no. Right. Hey, I want to pick up your, your tab. I want to bless you, pay for your meal. Oh, no, 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 give me, how many of you have a hard time receiving? Don't raise your hand, but we have a hard time receiving, do we not? When people try to bless us. God's trying to bless us. Here's what he wants us to do. We take it, we say thank you. We recognize I've just been given medicine to cure an incurable disease. I open it up and I eat it. That's called faith. That's called believing. I put it in my mouth. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is good news. We eat it. We eat more. We drink more. We, we celebrate the gift that is Jesus Christ. But you never reach out for the gift until you humble yourself. And God's, God's peace and God's pleasure is not ever on the proud. He resists the prideful and he gives grace to the humble. Is this making sense? This is so easy. And here's the thing. Jesus demonstrated it for us. There's not a one of us in here. Thomas, would you take your precious little one, wrap her up, 
and put her in a stinky pig trough where, where pigs come up and eat. Would you do that to your daughter? No, you wouldn't do that to your daughter because she's precious. She's precious. We would never think to do that. Look at her. She's precious. But God took the lowest path to redeem the lowest of us so that we could come to him. And here's the thing. When we stand before Jesus someday, we're not going to be able to say, oh, Lord, you know, what you asked was just too hard. Are you kidding me? He led the way for us. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, why in the world could you not acknowledge who I am and bow your knee and recognize that you need me and do this? Give me your life. Give me your life, even as I gave you my life. That's what I love about Jesus. He's the perfect leader. Some leaders say, say to do things that they don't do themselves. Jesus has never told us to do anything he hasn't done himself for you. He, after, after the feeding trough came the cross. And so what's he asking of us? Humble ourselves. What's the sign? Let me ask, I'll tell you this. What's the sign of somebody who's truly born again? They humble themselves. They come before God. They say, take my life and they begin to pursue Jesus Christ. That's the sign. It's the same sign Jesus demonstrated. Made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, took on human flesh, born in a manger, carried this body all the way through life, and showed us what it's like to please God. I want you to stand to your feet here today. And the gospel, and, East, and Christmas rather, always give us a great opportunity to remind us of what's important. Jesus said this, or Paul said this, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, in believing. I want you to bow your head right now, and I just want to extend an invitation. We're all going to pray together. It's always good to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. I'm not going to single anybody out, but, but I'm, I'm appealing to you as an individual right now. Jesus is appealing to you as an individual. There are some people that will celebrate Christmas, but they've never encountered the Jesus of Christmas and the invitations to you personally. And so I just want to ask you here today, is there anybody in this place, just by the show of simply slipping up your hand, saying, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me, that you'd say, you know what, today I want to humble myself. I want to give my life to Christ. I've never done that before, but I want to do that today. Anybody in this place that's never given their life to Christ? Anybody in this place that's never humbled, surrendered, committed, followed? Amen. Let's pray together. I want you to pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who came to this world and humbled himself and took on human nature and lived a sinless life and revealed your heart to us and then died for my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Change my heart. Take control of my future. I want to know you, Lord. I want you to wash me of my sins. And I want to know you. Thank you for taking my punishment so I could experience eternal life with you. Jesus, thank you for this gift. I receive you into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now listen, if that was you this morning, I just want you to do one more thing. Before you leave here today, just grab somebody. In fact, even before you get out of your seat.
and say, you know what? Today I gave my life to Christ. I just wanted you to know that. Today I humbled myself. Today I invited Christ into my life. You know, we're not, we're not going to have marriage class today. That'll resume uh, next week or shortly after that. We'll let you know. But come back tonight, 530, doors open. It's going to be an amazing celebration. And have an amazing Christmas this week, all right? If you need prayer for anything, come on down. We'd love to pray with you, all right? Bless you. Have a great day. Merry Christmas to everybody.